Good evening. Won't you join us as we worship this evening?
Yeah.
Who are you talking to? Oh, oh. And white. Oh, it's a lot of white. You need to cut it all out. I love you, brother, so much. You have your Bibles with you. These folks joining with us online can't hear everything that's going on. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> you have your Bible with you this evening. Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 11. The Gospel of Mark, chapter number 11. Um, our, our prayer request list is, is on the screen. Um, let me let me add a few more uh, to that. Remember, um, Terry Hewlin and his wife this evening. Um, Terry's having surgery um, right now, so so please be praying for him. Um, encourage you to uh, remember Joan as as she travels this week. Um, pray for me. I just don't function good when she's gone. Um, Run out of propane last night, but froze to death. Uh, boy, it's warm today, wasn't it? Lord, we had a beautiful, beautiful day today. Um, but but do pray for her. <clears throat> excuse me as as she travels. Um, Terry Haddock. Um, most some of y'all know Miss Terry. Um, Terry and and her husband Dave on the building that we leased when we first planted the, the, the Bridge Church. Actually, we, Miss um, Miss Ella um, was leasing that building, and she allowed us to um, stay there. Um, and, and then when she moved out, uh, we leased from Terry and Dave. But, but Terry's sister, Lori, uh, was sitting with friends or family by her fire pit. Something exploded. Um, in the fire pit, and they uh, sent her to Chapel Hill, um, and, and she's now in a medically induced coma. Um, so, so certainly be praying for them. Um, and anybody else uh, before we pray this evening? Pastor Danny is is the pastor that we mentioned last week who uh, has COVID. He and uh, Brother Jimmy Powell as well. Um, so, so certainly be praying for them, their families, and their churches. Sheila, of course. Yeah. Anybody else? I just looked up Brittany, uh, my daughter. She's uh, got a big interview tomorrow, so um, it's actually good news for her for a possible promotion at Chapel Hill. And uh, not necessarily that she gets the job, but just 
Schroeder and, and, and Pachori for the most part. Okay. Anybody else? Okay, Joel, would you lead us as we pray? Amen. Amen. The Gospel of Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark, um, chapter number 11, verse number 1 says, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem and to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he, being Jesus, sendeth forth two of his disciples. And saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you. And as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied, whereon never man saith, Loose him and bring him. Jesus, in our text, is on his way to Jerusalem. This will be his final journey to Jerusalem. We, we could approach this text, especially in this season that we're entering into um, as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Jesus is on his way to the cross. Now, in chapter number 10, he's just healed a blind person. He's still in the miracle working business. Amen. Isn't it interesting that in Jesus' final days, even his final hours, he's interested in people? And particularly in our text, he's interested in two disciples or two of his followers. And he assigns them to donkey duty. He sends two of his faithful followers on a mission to retrieve a donkey. Now, if you read all four counts of the, what we call the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem... John is the only one that doesn't record this event. 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, all three record the sending of these two followers of Christ to go get a donkey. So it must be significant. If it weren't significant, it wouldn't be in there one time, much less three. And so I would suggest that there are some things that you and I can learn about donkey duty that will help us in what it is God has called us to do. In fact, I would suggest that there are some parallels between donkey duty as we see it in the text in the making of disciples. And by the way, that's what God has put the church on this planet to do is to make disciples. Go ye therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's Jesus' call and commission to every Christian. That's not just a pastoral responsibility or the ministry of an evangelist. The Lord has called the entire church to be in the business of making disciples. Now, none of the three gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, give us the names of these disciples that were assigned to donkey detail. And it may be that they are unnamed, but I've often wondered, I shouldn't say I've often wondered, I have begun to wonder because I had never noticed where this falls in the context of chapter number 10. Jesus, in chapter number 10, beginning in verse 32, is... Informing his disciples as to what's going to take place in Jerusalem. He's told them that he will be betrayed. He's going to be put on trial. He's going to be crucified. And then in verse number 34, he introduces us to the concept that we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday. And the very first words that the disciples, or at least two of them, respond with after Jesus' teaching on the resurrection is found in verse number 35. The Bible says, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, Jesus, saying, Master, we would that thou doest for us whatsoever we shall desire. Now, now Jesus has just taught them the tremendous gift that he's going to give and they're interested in what they can get. 
And he said unto them, What would you that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy glory. Think about that for just a moment. Jesus has just told the church that he's going to the cross and that he would rise again. And the first response from at least two of the disciples is we want a position. Now, I don't want to strain the text because the text does not say in chapter 11 that it was James and John that he sent on donkey detail. But doesn't it seem somewhat fitting if it was? They're interested in a platform, in a position. They're looking for a place to sit. And if it were them, Jesus gave them a place to serve. They're looking for a place of honor. And Jesus gives them a place of humility. Did you know that the Bible says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I, I want to submit to you that one of the greatest attributes that we can have that reflects Christ and who he is, is the attribute of humility. But they wanted a position. They came looking for somewhere they could sit, and Jesus immediately put them to work. Now, now there's some, 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 some parallels I said, I believe, Revealed in our text about their donkey duty that are synonymous with our duty to go and make disciples. First, I want to notice from the text that like the donkey, disciples or potential disciples must first be located. The Bible says in verse number 1, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, 
And as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied. The fact that they were to find it seems to imply that the donkey had to be looked for. Donkey duty and disciple making both require an intentional effort of looking and locating. Now, there are a couple of clues I believe revealed in the text that will help us, enable us as Christians, as followers of Christ in making disciples that are also parallel with what these early followers of Christ were to look for in finding this colt. Jesus said, you shall find the colt tied. It's a picture of bondage, if you will. The colt would be found tied to, I don't know, a, a post or a stall or a barn. But the sign that it was the one that Jesus sent them to look for is that it would be bound. It's the same way when it comes to looking for potential disciples, those that Christ would have us to reach. We're to look for those who are bound, who are living in bondage. Jesus once said to the religious Jews of his day, leaders even within the synagogue, that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you... Say it again. The truth shall make you free. And they begin arguing with God in the flesh. Their response to Jesus' statement that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free was we be of Abraham's seed and have never been in bondage to any man. Now, I find that kind of curious because they trace their ancestry back into the Old Testament. And they said, we're, we're, we're of Abraham's seed and we've never been in bondage. Well, if you just do a, a brief survey of the Old Testament, you'll find that they were in bondage in Egypt. God delivered them out of Egypt, yet they say to Jesus, we, we've never been in bondage. And, 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 and then you'll find that they spent not only 400 years in Egypt, but they spent 70 years in captivity, in bondage in Babylon. Babylon. 
And they say to Jesus, we've never been in bondage to any man. And the very men that were speaking to Jesus were currently living in captivity under Roman rule. They're wearing shackles when they say it. And Jesus gets spiritual on them. And he says, whosoever committeth sin is a servant, is in bondage to sin. Now, that's the truth for lost people that Jesus wants us to locate. We're supposed to be in in the business as Christians of finding people who are shackled in sin. But I want to submit to you That just like the religious Jews in Jesus' day, you can be a member of the church, a born-again child of God, a member of Christ's family, a follower of Christ, and still be in bondage. And and, and listen to me. If you're living in bondage, you're not going to have a lot of luck Setting somebody else free. So, so, so first, we got to get free ourselves, or, or, or let me rephrase that, be set free ourselves before we'll ever become interested in helping others find freedom in Christ. Those who live... In bondage, really seek to bring others into bondage. Those who are free seek to set others free. So they've got to be located. Sin is a shackle. Just like this colt is is tied to a hitching rail or a post. We can be imprisoned by sin. Now, we want to pretend that's just for lost people. But could I suggest you don't have to look beyond the walls of the church to find people living in financial bondage. In bondage, addicted to chemicals and alcohol. In in, in bondage, trapped by relationships that aren't Christ-honoring and God-glorifying. Addictions to sex and gambling, gossip, lying, and the list just goes on and on and on and on. And that's the very people that God wants us looking for. Not not walking by 
but looking for, locating. Not only do I think that we can take away from the text that that as the church, we should be, as Christians, we should be in the business of looking for people who are in bondage. But, But I think it's probably an implied truth that this disciple-making hunting business should cause us to look for people who are not only in bondage, but people who are burdened. Colts, donkeys, are beasts of burden. They're, they're, They're literally built to carry a load. But this donkey, whatever it was tied to, was tied to a load that it couldn't just pick up and carry off. I believe it's a a picture of many of the people that surround us today. They're overwhelmed, burdened, overwhelmed with, well, with life. Remember, Jesus said, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And it's our business to be looking for people who are broken, who are burdened, who are living in bondage. So we need to know first what are we looking for? But but secondly, the, the text tells us where to find what it is we're supposed to be looking for. First, Jesus said that they're to go forth or they're to go forward into the village. And that they'll find over, oh, and then he uses this phrase over against you. He's giving them directions, literally drawing them a map to where they'll find this donkey at. Now, it seems like a, a, a pretty vague map, doesn't it? He just tells them to go into a village and they'll find a donkey. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm of a mind there was probably more than one donkey in this town. So, how do they know which donkey it is they're supposed to locate? Well, Jesus said it'll be over against you. That same phrase is used in other passages of Scripture to help us, I think, to understand where it is that we're to be looking, not for donkeys, but for disciples, In fact, Matthew chapter number 12 and verse 41 says that, And Jesus sat, there it is, over against the treasury. And behold, saw how the people cast money into the treasury. So in in giving directions, Jesus says, You'll find this donkey in a village that's over against you. 
And then we learn that over against you must mean Jesus sat over against the treasury and what he saw was people casting into the treasury. Boy, I could almost stop there and preach a while. I'm not going to get in your pocketbook this evening. Maybe. But, but, but in essence, here's what Jesus is saying. It'll, he'll be right in front of you. You don't have to look hard or look far in order to find somebody in our day and time that's in bondage and burdened. They're right in front of you. They're all around you. You don't have to look hard, Billy, but you do have to look. And when you look, you got to look past your nose. Jesus is saying, the donkey will be right in front of you. You just walk into the town and, and there he is. And, and, and I want to suggest to you that every day, God's put, God puts people in our path who are broken and burdened and living in bondage that if we're not careful, we'll walk right on by when that's exactly who God called us to look for. So, could I ask you a question? Who has God put in your path that's living in bondage? Who's God put in your forefront who's burdened and overwhelmed. And, and while I'm, I'm glad, I, I'm so glad that we want to come here and see it and worship and study the Bible. We want to be a part of what God's doing in the church. What he's called us to do is get beyond the walls in our community, in our village, and look for potential disciples. S secondly, not only Should we be looking for potential disciples, but, but like the donkey, potential disciples, when located, must be loosed. You shall find a colt, he said, whereon never man set, loose him. Y you have to get... Actively involved. You need to take your physical hands. Grab a hold of the rope that has him shackled. And untie the knot. You can't just stand there wondering why the donkey don't untie himself. 
I can tell you why. He can't. He don't have fingers. He's not equipped to set himself free. I, I believe that maybe maybe the 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 cult the donkey in our text is a picture of how people become comfortable living in bondage do y'all know what bonding is some of you mothers know what I'm talking about when I use the word bonding we used to trade horses and we'd breed horses and raise horses and the one thing that you learn when a colt is born, just like a mother bonds with its baby, if you want a good relationship with that colt, you don't wait till it's a year old to start trying to mess with it. You, you, you want to be there at the birth if at all possible. And you, 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 Begin petting it even before it gets up off of the ground. And you want to pull it up close to you and get it used to you. You want to bond with, with, that, with that colt. I would suggest to you that there is one... Chapter, if you will, that ties up not donkeys but people. And that's the devil we call Satan. And he's in the business of bonding, cultivating a relationship, and creating a conformity and comfortableness in people living in bondage. You, you can't just sit passively by and pray the ropes fall off. They're not going to. It don't, it don't happen that way. Now, I'm not suggesting we don't pray for people to get saved. We ought to be praying every day that friends and family members get saved and that people that we don't even know get saved. But we got to put our hands and our feet to the prayers that we pray when it comes to setting people free from the shackles of sin. Now, I, I want to suggest to you that the Lord taught me a spiritual lesson by way of a natural application when it comes to looking for donkeys and disciples. And that is, Billy, just quite simply, you can't lose one until you're first able to approach him. What I mean is, you got to be able to get up close to him before you can ever help him get free. I, I bought a horse at the horse sale one time, a bunch of times, but one time I really learned a lesson. 
And man, when that thing went through the cell, Billy, you wouldn't believe. Big quarter horse, stout, musk, beautiful animal. Rode through like a champ. You couldn't have asked for that horse to behave any better, any smarter than what it did in the show ring that night. And so I bought it. And I took it home. And the next day it sobered up. They had doped that horse up. It was a rodeo horse. I come to find out later. And so that horse was used to when somebody got close to it, it was going to have a negative experience. Some cowboy was going to get on its back and it was going to feel the spurs go into its ribs. And, and so when I would try to approach that horse, it wouldn't show me its front side. It showed me its backside. Every time. And I don't know if you understand this or not, but it can be dangerous approaching a horse that just wants to show you his backside. Somebody asked me one time, said, will that horse kick? And my response was, it's got feet, don't it? And, and, and that's what it was. That, that horse was letting me know, you ain't messing with me. And every time I'd, I'd go to get close to it, man, it'd spin around. I mean, I could be looking at him dead in the eye. And as I started to take a step forward, that thing would turn around. And I know he's just fixing to kick my head off. And there's no way you're going to loose a colt that's tied by its head if you can't get past its tail. I think Jesus is trying to teach us something here the problem with that horse was that it didn't trust me it had had some negative experiences with people and it didn't trust me and, and Billy it took time and tenderness to teach that horse that it could trust me. And, and, and you see, folks, much like that horse, the people that Jesus wants us to reach are not going to automatically trust you. I, I've learned over the years... That when it comes to reaching people with the gospel, you have to earn their trust. You've got to earn the right to speak into their lives. Now, now listen, I believe in the power of the Word of God, and, and nobody is going to be converted without the Word of God. But let me say this, and be as crystal clear as I possibly can. You're not going to make many converts if all you want to do is just shove the Bible down somebody's throat. You see, Billy, people haven't only been hurt by the devil and by secular society. 
But there's been people hurt in church by religious folks. And once somebody is hurt in church, they become like that horse. They're real skeptical of anybody who calls themselves a Christian. And, and so I think that we have to be careful and teach people that they can trust us before they're ever going to listen to us and hear the gospel. It takes time. It takes tenderness. But if you're kind and you're compassionate and you're consistent, eventually you can establish trust even when it's been broken time and time and time again. So they were to first locate. They were to secondly loose. Hey, let, let me... Let me say this, and, and I'm going to move on. But don't take it lightly when somebody tells you that they've been hurt in church and they don't want to go back. Also, don't dismiss it. That's an opportunity to reach somebody with the compassion of Christ and the gospel. Who, who has God put in your path that needs to be loosed, needs to be set free? And then finally, and we're going to be headed home, Jesus hasn't only called us to locate and to loose disciples. But, but much like the donkey in our text, disciples like donkeys or potential disciples like donkeys must be led. Jesus said again in verse number 2, loose him and bring him. So they were to go to where the donkey was. They were to find him. They were to look for him. They were to untie him, set him free. And then they were simply to, to, to lead him to Jesus. For the disciples to get the donkey from point A to point B... They had to lead him, not drive him. I'm going there in a minute. You can't drive a horse to a destination when it ain't got a clue where the destination is. Nor... Do you have the strength, the power, or the ability to drag a donkey anywhere it don't want to go? Now, I'm telling you, try it if you want to. You, you can't drag 
a donkey anywhere. Now, my, my children growed up with drug religion because me and their mama drugged them to church every time the doors was open. And I'll continue to do that as long as I got breath. But you can't drag somebody to Christ. You can't drive somebody to Christ. I think one of the most powerful statements that Jesus made in regards to our relationship with him is he said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I think the imperative word in that text, in that statement, is the Greek word for know. It's gnosko in the Greek. And it literally means to know intimately, to know personally, to know relationally you know there's some things that you can know by just observation from a distance I know Billy's big I ain't even got my glasses on and I can figure that one out and I can see that from from a distance but but to know Billy intimately personally I got to get up close to him. In fact, I don't think that there is a stronger word in the Old Testament or the New Testament that communicates the intimacy of this word no, like Gnosko does. It, it literally is even used as an idiom of the relational, sexual relationship between a husband and his wife. Could I say that as far as human relationships, it doesn't get any more intimate than that? It, it carries the idea of coming to know by experience. It, it, it carries the idea of getting to know because you're interested. T to know on more than just a, a surface level. To know intimately and personally somebody's likes, their dislikes. T to get to know them on more than just a go to church with them kind of thing. And you see, I believe for us to lead somebody, Joel, 
from point A to point B, they got to first know how much we care before they know how much we know. It's more than just a, 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 a passing by relationship. Carries the idea of being interested enough to invest ourselves in getting to know the individual. Jesus said, I know my sheep and they, not they might, but they follow me. We love him because he first loved us. By the way, you didn't track Jesus down. He come looking for you. And and so it is with with the Christian in this business of 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 making disciples. Hey Joel, this ain't a numbers game. This is this is a relationship thing. It's about building relationships with people. And Jesus said I know them and they follow me. I'm intimately involved in their life and they follow me. Couple couple thoughts on this. One, could I suggest to you, you can't lead beyond where you're living? Let me say that again. Billy, our, our call, our commission as Christians is to locate, to loose, and to lead. You cannot lead beyond where you're living. So, if somebody's following you, and and by the way, whether you realize it or not, there's probably not a person sitting here this evening that somebody's not following. You're influencing somebody's life. And, and, And so my question to myself and to us this evening is, that person that's following me, If they follow me close today, would they have found themselves at the feet of Jesus? Can't lead beyond where we're living. Now, now of course, on a Wednesday, I'd hope that those following me would find themselves at the feet of Jesus because I'm coming to church on Wednesday. Amen. Wednesday's worship Wednesday. I, I hope that those following me would find themselves at the feet of Jesus because 
I'm going to be in church on Sunday morning. But they weren't to bring the donkey to a building. And we don't even know what day of the week it is. And so I guess the, 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 the way that we could look at this is, it, hey, if, if somebody's following you through Walmart, can they find Jesus? If somebody's following you at Jerome's after church at the buffet line on Sunday afternoon, can they find Jesus? I think one of my most sad experiences was at Jerome's. Food's good. It's always good. Service is always phenomenal. And they don't let you run out of tea. But I remember it was a Sunday afternoon. And I asked our waiter, how are you doing today? And she told me. And it wasn't good. And then she went on to tell me why. She works about near every day of the week. And she informed me that the day that she hated to work on more than all of them, Joel was on Sunday. Now, that'd be good if the reason that she hated working on Sunday is because she wanted to be in church and couldn't because she had to work. But that wasn't why. She said, some of the meanest folk you ever met come in here on Sunday. And then she said this, they come straight from church. And I'm thinking to myself, man... If she's following the church crowd on Sunday, is she going to find herself at the feet of Christ? Not if they're complaining about everything going on, she ain't going to find him. And, 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 and finally, I have one more thought, and we're done, believe it or not, before 10 o'clock on a Wednesday night. Um. Do you want to be on disciple-making duty? That's what God's called you to do. That's what he's gifted us and commissioned us for is, is to make disciples. And if, if that's really what we want, I, I don't know about you, Miss Sheila, but I don't want to be a mediocre disciple. Did you know that Jesus said that the things that I have done while he was here on earth, you shall do greater things than these. I, I think one of the greatest sins in the Christian community is settling for good when God's called us to greatness. So, so I, want to, I want to constantly evaluate this donkey duty ministry that he's called us to. 
And we ought to ask ourselves and give honest answers to how well am I doing at looking, at locating, at loosing and leading people to Christ? And there's a really simple way to answer that. I mean, get a concrete answer to that question. And all you got to do is turn around and look and see who's following. Uh, I, I hope, Billy, that one of these days, each and every one of us will hear these wonderful words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And, and I believe that that statement will be a reflection as to how faithful we've been in making disciples, how faithful we've been in sharing the gospel, how faithful we've been in glorifying God. Who's following? How are we doing it, locating, loosing, and leading others? To Christ. Father, Lord, I'm so grateful for those that you put me in front of. That were living life with their eyes wide open. Who saw me in this great big old world filled with so many people who recognized and realized the condition that I was in without Christ in my life. I'm thankful that they did what they could with what they had in setting me free. And we know that it's your word, it's the truth that sets us free. And Father, we would just want to glorify and praise you tonight that you used somebody in each of our lives to lead us to the foot of the cross, to lead us to Christ. God, I'm satisfied that every person sitting here tonight can think back to the day that they got saved And remember the person that was instrumental in, in introducing them to Jesus. And God, we pray that you would help us to be that influence in the life of somebody else. Thank you for loving us, for watching over us, caring for us, hearing and answering our prayers. 
But most importantly, we thank you for loving us enough to send your son into this world to give his life on a cross in our place. God, as we anticipate the celebration of what we've come to call Easter, we're ever so mindful tonight that it's all about the resurrection of your son. That's the foundation on which we stand, the hope that we have. Help us to live in the resurrection life that you've called us to. We love you. We praise you. We honor you. We ask you to forgive us of our sins where we fall short of your glory. And help us to be all that we can. Lord, not according to our own ability, but according to the power of the Spirit of God that lives inside of us. In Christ's name we pray.